Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 29 of Relating to DevSecOps, where we explore the development, security, and operational issues of today so that we can talk about real-world DevSecOps problems with people that are actually facing them. If you like what you hear, please like, subscribe, and leave feedback wherever you curate your podcast so that we can bring content that matters to you. Uh, today, we are operating without internet, and we're going a bit old school here in New York uh, while we face issues with the internet and the power grid. Um, we are recording on uh, on that day, Wednesday. And so Simon and I have turned off our AC, uh, trying to reduce our load and move to local recording and going off battery power and doing our best to do uh, something remote over a phone and and local laptop recording and trying to get inventive. As, as Simon put it, uh, modern problems require modern solutions. <laughs> <laughs> so so Lord, uh, Lord of the Flies situation today. That's right. That's right. So in the spirit of uh, no internet, we're winging it. And uh, during the pre-show slash uh, phone call, we were getting a bit rowdy in uh, the world of whether or not DevSecOps actually works, questioning our life choices. And uh, while I can definitely say that I do have success stories, uh, I know that there are many, many, many people out there that have failures and um, frustrations. And uh, we got pretty hard into the pain about uh, our previous experiences with uh, security automation and DevSecOps. So um, we thought it might be good to chat about why security automation, DevSecOps fails most often uh, based on our personal experience and then what we've done in our own careers to try to level up that or learn from that and and uh, change our experiences ourselves, take ownership of that. So um, to get started, you know, um, Simon, I really wanted to turn it to you because I think that one of the biggest struggles and one of the things that we talk about all the time is... Um, what causes uh, these problems, right? Why is it so difficult to get security on board with the development lifecycle, with engineering process, with DevOps? And um, in that light, uh, you know, what you have seen fail most often? And uh, we'll just start there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, if we're going to talk specifically about uh, just getting into the life cycle of things. Um, you know, any engineering org that you're in, you're going to have a very, very specific product engineering centric, a build life cycle, deploy life cycle. Uh, you expect it to run a certain way, you expect it to, to, you know, perform a certain manner. So I think, uh, you know, whenever security wants to get involved in that, uh, you have to think of, you know, how long is the tool that you're running going to take that, you know, that might <laughs> piss off a few engineers if it's taking you an extra like half hour or something to, uh, you know, do scanning or, or, or whatever, you know, security process you want to do, like that's going to affect developer time. That's going to be frustrating. Um, and honestly, ultimately, I think it's just understanding what the info is that you're getting. So if your build is now failing, you know, why is it failing? Is it uh, something critical? Is it a bunch of noise that you don't understand? Is it clear what needs to be fixed? Uh, you know, as a quick summary, I think those are definitely the biggest topics that are on my mind. So basically length of time, I heard you say, uh, and uh, how noisy is it going to be essentially? 
Oh yeah, no, absolutely. And and, and for the time, I, I I would definitely focus on you know building a branch in the pull request phase. You know, you want to get feedback fast. You want to fix fast. Uh, you know, if something fails, you want it to fail fast. So uh, you know, biggest frustration for me is if I you know think my branch is nice and clean, tests are running, uh, and I kick off a build and I find out you know an hour later that I've got these like forty alerts or warnings that I have to take care of. That's super frustrating. Right. And, you know, and so that, that was something that we actually didn't talk about uh, previously was um, access to be able to like no surprises, basically, is what I'm hearing. Exactly. Yeah. And it's the uh, like hurry up and wait mentality, I think, can be can be super tough. Right. So like you, you, you put a branch together, you feel like you're all clean, you've run all your tests, you've run your, you know, unit tests, you've run a regression test. Now you're like ready to go. You've think you've got all your ducks in a row and security comes in and slaps your wrist about something. <laughs> exactly. And it might not even be a real thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that, that goes into the, the, the second note I made is, you know, have you taken the time to speak with your security team and really understand uh, what this tool is doing, how significant the uh, alerting is, is it appropriate? Is it high priority? Um, is it super critical? Does it even matter? Um, is this something you can maybe fix later? Could we maybe ignore it, skip it? Um, you know, these are all things I think that you you really need to have a discussion beforehand before you start integrating these types of tools. Yeah. And you might think that security has a, like a different approach, like, oh, well, you should be able to fix it. And, um, you know, we don't have the same frustrations you do. And we know things that you don't. But I, I can guarantee you that as a uh, security practitioner, you know, we have the same problems. Like it's a, the reason that it's so noisy and the reason that it's so uh, cumbersome is that the tools that are generally used by security teams or that are provided to security teams are generally long form tools, right? They are like these big beasts that don't have the capability to move at the speed of the, the CICD pipeline or even the you know, the sprint cycle, right? Just get, and we've gone into this in multiple episodes around how long it takes to run a security scan and then evaluate that for false positives. Right. And security folks don't like doing that either. Like we don't love sitting there working through a bunch of false positives in the results from the code and, and going through that either. So I think that part of that tool set issue um, is a problem on both sides. So um, I definitely get that. Uh, we also, I think just even adapting those tools because they're held so close to the vest of the vendor and because they all approach things a, a different way or they have their secret sauce, it's also very difficult to, uh, as a security practitioner, to come to the table and try to support a bunch of different languages with one tool based on support and all this kind of thing. And so the learning curve can be great for the security practitioners as well. So, um, in that light, I think that, you know, what we wanted to do is sort of take this conversation into creating solutions, right? What can, right. what can engineers do? What can security folks do to make, make the world better in this arena, make more successes at where we typically find failures. And I, I thought what might be um, a good way to do that is to maybe unpack some of our previous experiences around uh, where we've seen failures in the past, or maybe some interesting ways we've applied um, DevSecOps or security automation in the present. Any Anything come to mind for you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've I have held a, I've had a lot of different tooling integrations uh, into different random 
CID, CICD pipelines. Um, something that definitely comes to mind in terms of, uh, you know, I would say maybe it was a little rocky to start, but a successful success story ultimately was um, not necessarily, you know, anything like uh, maybe code scanner, code detection, but more along the lines of uh, dependency management. And, um, you know, we had, we had a tool that basically scanned for outdated dependencies that had, you know, security flaws that have, uh, you know, either a future update coming along or there's a new major minor version that's available that will remedy this. So, um Essentially, the you know the short story is you would spin up a build. If there's any uh, alerts, it would block your build, prevent you from uh, merging your code and deploying, and it kind of forced you to uh, resolve the dependency. And uh, obviously, you know, product engineers uh, were mumbling and grumbling, super frustrating. Hey, like my my code is blocked. I need to what do I need to do? I have to update this. This is taking time. Um, ultimately, it really forced us to just go ahead and fix these things. Um, and, and the reason why I say it wasn't a full success case is we had situations where, you know, it wasn't as easy as, you know, bump your version number up, move on with your life, make sure that, the, you know, it's backwards compatible. We had just some fundamentally old legacy apps that had very, very critical libraries that just couldn't be updated by the flip of a coin or a push button or anything. So, um, you know, those had to get waived and they kept getting waived and kept getting passed. And we had to get security approval over and over and over again. And it was it was frustrating. It's like, I don't want to have to do this a hundred more times. So, you know, it really surfaced the conversation of, you know, if this application is so critically, um, you know, insecure, Maybe let's have a conversation about rewriting it and cleaning it up and thinking about a V2 or a V3 that would fix these solutions. Um, and and yes, I think that's kind of an extreme situation, but it, it forced us to really, you know, have better hygiene when it came to looking at uh, scanners and parts of our build pipeline that weren't necessarily ours. Right. You you said a couple of things that stuck out to me that I, I wanted to comment on. One is um, the idea that when uh, a dependency requirement isn't updated or there's a vulnerability in a dependency, that one of the things that I still find security folks fail to maybe empathize with or sympathize with, whichever the right word is there, uh, <laughs> is that dependency management is more than just updating to the latest version. And so if you're in a project that is started right. where you've updated everything, yeah, I mean, that's a great idea. Like just update, right? But I think like we have to understand as security practitioners that methods change, functions change, uh, the dependencies of those dependencies have changed. They've uh, manipulated right. the way that it's operating or the version, you know, maybe they don't support it in a, you know, like in an LTS type of way where they're, um, you know, considering their these organizations that are using this library for you know five years on version one, they've moved to version two, and they they continue to support security you know for three years to give these folks time to migrate. Like that doesn't always occur, and so there's a lot packed into that practice. Like how do you choose libraries? How do you maintain those libraries? How and and it the supply chain thing is such a big topic. Um. But like we have to be cognizant of the fixes there and that we saying just constantly harping on engineering teams that update, 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 update is not the best way to go about it. Uh, the other piece was, um, I, I can't remember if you said this or if we talked about it in the pre-show, but um, like waiving findings or ignoring findings because there is no fix or because the you know maintainer hasn't uh, updated to 
to um, fix the security advisory or, you know, so something you depend on that's a critical to your entire application, maybe that is systemic throughout the app, um, might be something that you can't use anymore. So like rewriting, it's not an immediate option. Like you have other deadlines to work on. So assessing the risk of that becomes a relevant conversation of like, you know, do we use the vulnerable method? Do we, can we mitigate it in another way? And I, I find that one of the biggest successes that you can bring to the table as a security engineer is to work on finding a way to fix things that is more than just update, 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 if that's not a viable option. The, I think that a fast way to discredit yourself as a security practitioner is to say, um, update this library without any context. It, you know, it should be like, why, how are you using this library? Why is it used? Where does this dependency come from? Are we using the vulnerable version? And are we using the vulnerable component of this? Is it exploitable? All of these questions need to come along with the update conversation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I don't know, the way you describe that, it, it almost says to me, you know, you have to treat these you know, alerts or warnings, um, whatever you want to call them. And you need to, you need to triage them the way you would any any piece of, of product work. You need to understand the complexity. You need to make that clear to the security folks. Because like you said, you know, it, it may sound like an easy peasy, just version bump or, you know, fix this parameter, fix this function or this API call. Um, sometimes it's not that easy. And, and I, I think it's easy for product engineers to kind of sweep that under the rug because, you know, security sometimes get less of an eye than, than other things. And it's, it's less critical until, until it becomes incredibly critical. So um, being able to, you know, triage that and, and, and track that and make it clear to, you know, your team, your leadership, why you're choosing to work on this or why you're choosing to maybe postpone it or, or handle it later um, is super important. And, you know, I, that just reminded me of a completely tangential story where, you know, I decided to just go the opposite direction. And, you know, I had a, a security scanning tool and I decided, you know what, I'm just going to look at every single alert and I'm going to start triaging everything and I'm going to log everything and fix what I can immediately. And, you know, I ended up spending an entire day and I, I think, you know, maybe I got through like 30 or 40 alerts and, you know, I had maybe 3000 to go and I refresh and it was up to 4000. And, it was soul crushing. I was like, why, like, what was the point of this? I feel like I've accomplished nothing. So there, you know, there's an important balance. If you really want to do this, it's, it's almost a full-time job. Um, if it's not a team effort, I don't know. I yeah. feel like that's a, a little bit of a ramble. Do you, do you agree, Ken? Am I totally insane? No, I mean, it's crawling out of the security hole, man. I mean, I, I get that. That's, that's what's so, like you said, soul crushing about, um, automated results is that the tools are designed to give you as many results as it possibly can because most of the security tools are designed with, we need to find every, I think we've talked about this in a previous episode, we need to find every instance of everything that we know about. So we write patterns and rules and everything around this across multiple languages. And it's super and the context, generalized. Right. And the context of your application, you know, may not be there. And so I guess that brings us to the next point is like, what's the solution to that? Because a lot of these stories come from security trying to force tools into something like a, a CI CD pipeline that doesn't necessarily belong there, isn't optimized for it. So what can we do to sort of get, you know, make that a game changer to bring it to the table to say, um, you know, we're going to give you uh, less noisy results or reduce the footprint. I think that's where I've seen the most success uh, in, in, you know, my recent engagements around 
automating security. It's not necessarily about automating the testing or automating this or that that already exists. It's, a, it's around rethinking how we, how we do things. You know, in DevOps, we went from, you know, to bring an old joke back up, Jameson's Perl scripts to Python to things like <laughs> Ansible and Puppet and Chef. And we've iterated on this, um, like, way of doing things to make it easier and easier to deploy uh, things that are repeatable. And I think part of it just comes from, you know, we're constantly focused on the blacklist of items, like the the trying to figure out, like, um, you know, what is what is appropriate or what's inappropriate inside of an application. And so we're always focused on the weaknesses, the vulnerabilities, the um, coming at it from the outside in, as opposed to, you know, what's the correct way to approach something or not. So it's, um, I think that we focus too much on, on the right side of it, on the detection aspect of it, uh, to get that into the CICD. And so we're always going to have this mess of results. I don't know. You agree with that? Yeah, yeah, I absolutely agree. And, you know, some things that I think of when I think of like, how can we fix this? How can we make this better? Um, obviously open communication is important as you go through these. And, and yes, it's a daunting task. Like speak with your security team. Like, is this a valid alert? Um, you know, I see 50 of these pop up a day. Like, should I be worried about this? Or, you know, maybe we can lower the, the, the volume of noise a little bit, but you know, what I keep coming back to is, is, is treat this like product engineering. You know, we, you have the same, you have the same issue with, with, you know, with technical debt, like you, you're going to have a, a backlog of so-and-so tickets. Some teams or some organizations might have it hairier than others. Maybe it's worth dedicating a week or two, you know, take a sprint and as a team, just like knock out as much as you can. It doesn't have to be, you know, like all the time, but I, I, I think things like that, just making sure that you continue to keep up your hygiene, you know, it's just, it's just like, uh, you know, not brushing your teeth. If you've got those cavities, go get them fixed. Um, and just try to brush your teeth more the next time. Uh, you know, it's, there's going to be noise, but as long as you keep pruning, you keep cleaning, you keep, uh, you know, triaging as much as you can, I think you can put yourself in a really good place. You know, I, I like the, uh, I like the teeth analogy because I think that it brings <laughs> me to a point where, where I sort of disagree with you because I think that I do agree that you should have good, um, you know, coding hygiene and you should try to work on the security backlog and push against it and just slowly and iteratively, um, you know, scrape the security plaque off. Right. But in instances where you have a ton of results, um, you know, and your, your teeth are, are jank, you know, like they're just destroyed You and you need reconstructive surgery or you need like some <laughs> major thing. It's going to be expensive. It's going to take a long time to do. It's going, you know, it's like, it's an overhaul. So getting the resources, the, whether that's money, budget, time to do that becomes harder and harder. So I think that we sort of need to provide these ways to prioritize and focus like where to put our time and change things in ways that like establish good habits over time. Otherwise, we're just going to repeat the same stuff over and over again, right? Like here's the right way to brush your teeth. Here's the right way to do X, Y, and Z. And then detect for that, right? Like if we were able to say, um, you know, have like, oh, I for, you know, an alert every time you forgot to brush your teeth in the morning, you'd be like, ah, okay, I just got to do that one thing. And then I'll, you know, that's my, that's my hygiene for the day. But it ha after the reconstructive surgery, it's like you're, 
now you're like more uh, inclined to do that. I don't know. I went down a rabbit hole with the analogy, but that's the, uh, hopefully I made my point. And so I think that for us to um, like really hone in on that, security needs to adapt the tool set or to adapt the way of working. And uh, we talked a little bit about this uh, and things that sort of we're experimenting with on, on my side and just that, that what we're trying to write with and tools are out there and available for you to use. It's just, I think that they're not, maybe not as, maybe they seem intimidating or they're not as well known. I'm not sure which, but I don't see them in the wild as, as often as these vendor tools um, because maybe that's just not the marketing, but things like SEMGREP or CodeQL or these tools that are designed to be inside of the CI CD pipeline or that are provided to developers to be able to get an early look inside of their code are super valuable. Um, but it takes security effort to write rules for these and to, to work with these to, to make sure that they're discovering accurate results. Um, any thoughts on those? I know we talked a little bit about it, so. I mean, you, you may disagree, but I feel like you just said exactly what I thought backwards. Um, you know, I, I said, treat, treat this situation like you would any other product engineering task. I mean, I think, I feel like you just mentioned, you know, for analyzing these tools and using them effectively, we have to change the way we work. And I think that's, that's true. You have to change the way you work to match the way the build pipeline currently exists and how people are are willing and able to use this to fix things and build things better. Um, and I, I think if, if you are using tools, like you mentioned, like SEMGREP, um, you just have to keep that in mind. Um, like, what are the generalized patterns that you're building? Does it make sense for um, the way we are currently trying to fix things and the way things get integrated into our build pipeline? Um, and, and, is is the the alerting clear enough for a product engineer to know how to react to that just like they would everything else that they do with a pull request whether it be broken tests or comments or um your check style failing and i think check style is another really good example of how to be really annoying or <laughs> really concise with what you're looking for um it's really easy to say like oh i'm just going to copy this check style that i found on stack overflow and it's got all the things i want and and then you know you you build your application and then you have these 500 things that you don't want to deal with, you got to know what you're looking for and you got to know what fits for your team and for your applications. Exactly. Um, okay. So trying to keep it into 30 minutes, I want to move into what are the actionable things that we can do to reduce engineering effort, security effort, and get these types of checks into the development pipeline. And I would say that my, well, I have my like top three and it might only be top two, but to <laughs> me it's, I think we need to standardize the um, coding practices, right? Uh, and so what I mean by that is when we have a, um, a mitigation that we are applying, like uh, cross-site scripting, SQL injection, bad configuration, whatever it might be, that we don't just fix the one issue. We've discovered the issue. Now we should be looking for any instance where it is not uh, mitigating cross-site scripting or whatever the security weakness is in the correct way. And if you have a standardized way to um, apply defenses 
then you can write rules for the discovery of the correct use of those defenses rather than trying to find every instance of cross-site scripting or for every instance of SQL injection. And so if, if there's a predictable pattern, then you can look for, oh, am I using the appropriate, you know, secure, um, you know, configuration or tool or library or whatever to defend? Or am I using the correct methods in my framework when I accept input? So we can, and then security can write patterns for that. Uh, and the second part of standardizing is to, again, write the rules against those standards rather than writing the rules to discover the weaknesses that those standards are trying to protect against. Um, and the last thing is uh, be cognizant of the tools that your uh, development team uses and leverage those to implement those fixes. Um, do you have a do you have a different take an, a different top three or even a complementary top three? <laughs> um, no, I mean that uh, that definitely coincides with what I think. Um, standardization across the board. I think like just understand like what what the the pros and cons are of your build pipeline and try to leverage them for any new tools and. Um, I, I, I think you said, you said you're going to say it way better than I just, I'm about to just word vomit out of my mouth. But, uh, yeah, once you find a, an issue, um, don't treat it as this kind of like machine gun that you fire across every single team and every single engineer. It's, we discovered an issue. Ultimately, someone's going to fix it on their end, share that and make that the standard and the alert and the notification for teams saying, Hey, we fixed this this is how you do it, whether it be a library or something and have that just be, um, instead of the noise of the alerts, the, make that the alert and turn that into the, the thing that you're sharing across the entire organization. I think that'll encourage people to, to fix faster. Um, especially when someone's already done the work for you. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think I agree with you across the board just from, you know, a different perspective. Awesome. No, I agree. So in the, in the last, I guess, four minutes um what what tools can people use to to do these things um and you know how can they get started using them uh for me i would say that uh, right now i'm on the semgrep train writing rules for that because i find that it's easy for security folks to learn and write rules and patterns it's not this is not sponsored i just find that um learning how to write patterns in something like SEMgrep is super easy. So for executing on what I was just talking about, um, it's easy to just like iterate, like write a rule today or, oh, I found this thing. I'm just going to write a quick rule as opposed to like trying to learn another um, riff on a language that some vendor uses to write rules and then getting that deployed into the, the server and then sending that off to the deployment and then using that to like get integrated into the pipeline or whatever. Um, I, I've, I've looked at CodeQL a little bit. I'm not as familiar with it, um, but that's another option too for CICD. Uh, anything on your side? I, I would honestly switch that around. Um, I like, obviously this is just my product engineering brain going, but, um, for me, you know, whatever tool, uh, what, you know, whether it be security is chosen to standardize, it's less, you know, what tools are good for you. It's, it's really, do you, do you understand what this tool is doing? So, you know, for me, I would encourage product engineers, if there's a tool being integrated into your pipeline, take take some time to just deep dive it, like 
figure out how it works, figure out like what sort of alerting it's doing, how it's configured, how security has decided to um, use it and just like spend time understanding it so that, you know, when this, this new beast enters your comfortable build pipeline, it's not, it's not as intimidating. You're like, oh yeah, I, I recognize these things. I've seen how this works. Yeah. Well, uh, in that spirit, then I will, I will, this is a call out to the developers and engineers listening. If you want to deep dive into a tool and suggest it to your security team, I do find that SemGrep is super great for not just security findings, but anything you're looking for in terms of code quality or, you know, any pattern that you're looking to address uh, in files throughout the code that you want to write a pattern for. I think it's really great for um, finding issues that are sort of like either company specific or business oriented or, um, you know, standard oriented. You know, if you're looking for something like I want to look for every instance of, um, you know, a known bad value uh, that I found in this one file, you can write a quick rule for that and, and run it. Um, and rather than putting it into something like grep, uh, you know, you can get that into the the pipeline by just writing a pattern, and including it in the rule set. Um, so I find it like That's really awesome. easy to rapidly innovate and, and prototype checks as you go and you can run it locally, you can run it in the CICD. So I think it's really great in that regard. Super cool. So maybe we'll deep dive into that. <laughs> Uh, and maybe you can deep dive into it and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll do a series on SEMGREP rules that we have written or something. Yeah, I've, I've never used SEMGREP. I would love to pick your brain about that. Cool. Well, look, we're right up on time. Uh, I will say that here in, uh, in New York, the storm is raging. It just like went completely dark and I feel like we're going to lose power <laughs> soon. Uh, so we'll close it there so we don't lose the exit. Um, Start the wood fire, Ken. Got to get it yeah, going. Exactly, exactly. So, uh, look, thank you, everyone, for uh, for listening to this uh, sort of impromptu, lower technology uh, podcast. Hopefully, the sound quality comes out okay. Um, that's all I've got, Simon. Any last words? Uh, just, just a PSA for everyone to brush their teeth. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, uh, the longest tooth analogy in security. <laughs> Cool. Well, thank you everyone for listening. Uh, have a, uh, a great week and we'll see you next time. <laughs>